running out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study him hard and hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. And the guy behind you won't leave you alone. Ring, ring goes the bell. The cook in the lunchroom. Hello, everyone. My name is Leonie Hameson. Welcome to our show, Talk Out of School, on WBAI Radio 99.5 FM and WBAI.org, where we focus on issues affecting public schools here in New York City, the state level, and nationally. Our show is also available for download as a podcast. My guests this week are two Houston parents from Community Voices for Public Education, a group that formed to oppose the damaging state takeover of their children's public schools. But first, some local news. The School Construction Authority in New York City has released the new five-year capital plan, which despite the new class size mandates, cuts the spending for new school construction by another 2.1 billion on top of the 2 billion cut from the plan over the last two years. This means the loss of thousands of new seats needed to alleviate overcrowding to provide space for smaller classes. In addition, unlike any other five-year school capital plan I've ever seen, it lists no locations for any of the new schools planned to be built, even in terms of their boroughs or districts or grade levels. Instead, it says, quote, projects will be officially listed in the plan following the identification of a suitable site and the commencement of the school facilities design process. This not only leaves out the public altogether about the potential siting of schools and where they're actually needed, but also appears to violate the law that established the School Construction Authority, which says the plan must include, quote, a list of prioritized projects to the extent practical and list each proposed new education facility and set forth a justification, including demographic data documenting the long-term need. Instead, the plan lists no prioritized school construction or expansion projects according to location and no justifications pertaining to existing overcrowding, enrollment trends, demographic data, or the new class size law. Last weekend, I was at the Network for Public Education Conference in Washington, D.C., and I met many teachers and parents who are organizing to prevent the right-wing privatization of our schools via charterization and school vouchers. But two of the most intriguing people I met are my guests today who have a slightly different and perhaps even more horrifying story to tell about the state takeover of their local public schools. I'd like to introduce now two parent activists who are members of the Houston organization Community Voices for Public Education, Ruth Kravitz and Jessica Campos. Ruth and Jessica, welcome to Talk Out of School. Hi, nice to see you. Hello. Can you both tell me first how you got involved in this organization and when it formed? Ruth, I think you were one of the co-founders. Is that right? If we'll start chronological, I'll start and then I'll defer to Jessica, who I'm so grateful is joining us in the fight. So in um, 10 years ago, we formed a group, parents, students and teachers to push back against another turnaround plan where a former education reformer supported by the Broads and the Waltons and others who want to privatize our schools had a plan to improve the quality of learning for kids by uh, replacing all their teachers, replacing the principal, uh, taking inquiry-based instruction and turning it into endless test prep and a bunch of and um, terrorizing students and teachers alike and pushing highest need kids out of the school by um, 
figuring out excuses to uh, move out of the school students with disabilities and students um, who are new immigrants to the nation. And so a bunch of parents and teachers got together and said, we need to collaborate to fight this. And we formed Community Voices for Public Education, although to our dying breath, I think we'll rue the day we came up with an acronym that is CVPE because it's impossible for people to remember. But other than that, I think we started off pretty good because it wasn't there wasn't a place for parents and teachers to talk together about the schools our children deserve. You know, rich, meaningful instruction, well-resourced schools with strong, powerful academic and arts curriculum with recess where students love learning and keep moving forward and where um, there's not this horrible over-reliance on high-stakes testing. And I'm speaking to the choir right now. And um, we were ad hoc for a while. We had passed the, passed the hat budget. We got the school district to stand up minimally to oppose high-stakes testing. We stopped some school closures. We uh, we had some wins, and then and then they started pushing the state to take over of HISD. So that's how I got involved. I was a teacher, administrator, and HISD parent at the time, and one of and because of what you guys were doing in New York, we tried to model. The 300,000 people who opted out of standardized testing in New York, which led to a moratorium on the use of test scores to evaluate teachers, if I remember. And so we did it in Texas, although to a much smaller scale. That's how I got involved. And Jessica, did you get involved more recently with the recent state takeover of some of your schools? So I actually got involved more recently. To, to be honest, I was kind of lost with the whole TEA takeover. I am. Um, as a parent, I'm so busy, you know, just struggling to survive and take care of these kids that um, I actually thought it was going to be a good thing. You know, TEA, they said that they were going to do all these great things for us. So I was like, OK, it might be a good thing. Uh, it wasn't until June, uh, the very first day of summer, uh, June 1st, we received a, we started receiving calls. Myself and some other parents received calls from their teachers uh, saying that they had lost their their jobs and that they were going to be made to reapply for their positions and that they weren't sure if they were, they weren't guaranteed their positions back. Um, we, uh, myself and another parent, because our, our community is Spanish speaking, um, we thought it would be a great idea to translate what was happening into Spanish and go, uh, car to car and, and handing out flyers and letting them know what was going on because everyone was clueless. Um, uh, we decided, okay, so people are clueless. Let's have a meeting so that we can inform the, the community about what's happening. Uh, we had a meeting or we were going to have a meeting and it turned out to be a protest because everyone was already really upset about losing the teachers. They were like, no, we know what's happening now. Let's just go to the, you know, Hattie Mae building and protest. So we started the protest here in the community center and then we all got in our cars and drove out to HISD that day. Um, that is when we met uh, CVPE. Um, and to be honest with you, to that point, we really didn't have all the information. We just knew we lost our teachers and it wasn't something good. And we were hearing all of these rumors about us losing our wraparound specialists and losing our dual language program and all that. So, so yeah, we were upset and uh, we, we were heard that day. Mike Miles came out to chat with us for a bit to tell us, you know, to calm down. And he said that he promised that he would come out to our schools because he asked us what we wanted. And I said, I think that it would be a good idea for you to come to our schools and see how our children interact with our teachers because we have great teachers. Um, and so he promised to start doing a set of, of community meetings and that's what he did. But 
the community meetings were just meant for him to look like he was going to give us uh, a voice, but he he never came to the community to see what we really needed. To me, uh, to me, when you want to provide equity, you have to come to the community and talk to us and maybe even live the way that we live to understand what we need, you know, and uh, we didn't get that. We didn't get the chance to, to voice our opinions. He never asked if we were okay with all the changes. So let's back up just a second, because um, I think we need more context and understanding about what actually happened in Houston. So what actually happened, in my understanding, is the Texas Education Agency, which is a state agency, took control of 29 schools in Houston initially, which is the largest school district in the state with a student population that is two-thirds Black and Latino. Um, I just have a quick question um, before we go any further. Who appoints the members of the Texas Education Agency or are they elected? So the Texas, we have a whole lot of unelected, unaccountable people interfering with what should be a democratic process involving local control. The governor, who is a Republican, appoints the Texas Education Agency commissioner who has almost unlimited power to... uh, investigate school districts, and then since 2021, use that to appoint a conservator. And since the 2021 law, use that to subsequently, two years later, take over the school district. So I'm not certain if you're asking the question, how did we get here? And I could, if you'd like, I could talk about that. Well, first of all, state takeovers have a very poor record in general. And what I read was that only one of Houston public schools even had a failing report card, according to the state accountability system. And yet they decided to take over 29 schools. Can you explain how that happened? Sure, um, with, a, with a couple of minor numerical corrections. So um, it, very, very quickly in 2015, um, a state representative, a Democrat who's uh, got lots gets lots of money from charter interests wrote a law that says if one school does poorly on the standardized test five years in a row, then that school has to be chartered or closed. And if it's not chartered or closed, then the whole school district can be taken over based on the performance of a single school. So keep in mind that when they took over HISD in June, the school district had a B plus rating. Um, was AAA bond rating and was doing better on the standardized tests that none of us believe are reasonable measures of student performance and student learning. But yet, nonetheless, performance of schools in HISD was better than in Dallas, where the new unappointed, unelected uh, superintendent comes from. So after 2015, some schools were on the bad list. In 2019, one school had been on the list five years in a row. Keep in mind that we had a massive hurricane in the middle where this school had tremendous flooding in a neighborhood. This particular school is in one of the 20, it is a 27th poorest zip code in the state um, and has uh, and started, of course, doing less well on the standardized tests as soon as uh, Yes Prep opened less than a mile away and ended up just uh, having a very differentiated student population. So whereas Wheatley had uh, 50 Uh, 80% at risk, the school, the Yes College Prep was less than 50% at risk, where Wheatley was 20% special ed, Yes College Prep was less than 7% 
special ed, where Wheatley was 37% transient. Yes, college prep was something like 3% transient. Just so you had a situation. for our listeners. Yes, prep is a large charter school chain that's, I think, centered in Texas. Is that right? It was founded in Texas, yes. And so it, uh, yes, prep, like other charters around the country, purposely exclude students who are more complicated to artificially raise their standardized test scores. Anyway, in 2019, this, the um, school district successfully sued and said, you can't take over our school district because you're not abiding. The state of Texas isn't abiding by its own laws. And they were successful. They were successful again at an appeals court. And then the governor uh, got mad about that and, and it told one of his Republican allies, please write a law to um, to uh, get rid of that pesky problem of the takeover. So they basically eliminated everything that HISD had successfully used to stop the takeover and change the law so they couldn't use it anymore. Why would legislators support this? They supported this because they gave a the state said if you everyone was scared about um, COVID and standardized testing, and this is 2021. So the states, the Republican controlled state legislature said and the governor said, if you support this law to make it easier to take over HISD, we will make sure that star scores, standardized testing scores don't count against your schools and school district for one year. And in return for that bribe, you must sign off take over rights to um, to give final and unappealable expanded authority to the unelected commissioner of the Texas Education Agency. And also we're going to expand takeover options from F-rated schools to both D and F-rated schools. So it's a manipulation of the law to purposely harm children who need us the most. So in 2020, after that law passed, the state Supreme Court ruled that uh, the takeover could happen because there's a law that they changed in 2021 that led to the takeover in June of this year by the unelected appointed commissioner of the Texas Education Agency, who had spent three years hanging out with our new narcissistic superintendent while they were both on the school board in Dallas. So it's a long answer. We get to the point then that he, the commissioner, appointed a man named Mike Miles to run Houston schools, who's a former Army Ranger, who had a very controversial record uh, when he led the Dallas school system. And I think you mentioned that they have a lower grades than the Houston schools. And he lasted only three years of a five-year contract and later left to run a chain of charter schools. And then my understanding is that Miles appointed nine managers to replace your elected school board, uh, including several business people and a consultant who uh, ran for the board in 2021 and lost his election. One of them I saw as a current vice president of the college board, which seems to be a a bit of a conflict of interest to me. But uh, (laughs) can you tell us what happened next? So, uh, as you've said, the board of managers were appointed um, in an interesting, I guess, metaphor for what was to come. They were appointed at dawn in secret. Uh, The board of managers, the nine of them, um, seven of the nine live in affluent neighborhoods west of of downtown Houston. And as you said, one of them actually lost their election to a a sitting school board member as a sort of a a hit on democracy, sort of a, um, and then after that, um, they have 
basically rubber stamped everything that the superintendent has said from uh, which we could talk about in a little while. But immediately what the superintendent did is he uh, told every teacher at 28 NES schools, which are almost entirely in black and brown neighborhoods with uh, that aren't well resourced and made them reapply for their jobs got rid of the librarian at all 28 of these schools and turned the libraries into Zoom discipline centers that people have heard, around, heard about around the country. He also, since then, since the school years in the summer, he expanded uh, these schools uh, to 55 other schools. So there's actually 80, 85 total schools that are officially NES or NESA, and they all don't have libraries and they don't have librarians and they have to do lockstep instruction but some of that is also bleeding out all over the district. So basically we have a, a superintendent not accountable to the public, an unelected, unaccountable school board not accountable to the public, who can basically allow the superintendent to spend money like a drunken sailor and um, do horrible chaos and create chaos in every direction. So uh, he's so, firing people. Yeah, so, so just to make it clear... Most of the schools that he took over did not have failing grades. In fact, only one of them did. The overall rating, uh, average rating, was 81 out of 100. And the district as a whole, as you said, had a B-plus rating. And Jessica, I see that your daughter's school was rated with an A but was taken over anyway. Can you give us a, tell us a little bit about what happened when they took over your school? So, um when they took over our school, everything changed. I mean, all of, we lost all of our teachers. All of them had originally left, but at the uh, meeting that, um, that Mike Miles had at our school, he mentioned that he was going to have the principal call our teachers to come back. Um, it, it, it ended up being us, the parents that reached out to the teachers and we were able to get eight to come back, but we lost 21 teachers. Wow. Uh, teachers at first, but we just recently lost another teacher. And now these schools that were taken over have to adopt something called the New Education System, or NES, which is supposedly based on the model of the charter school chain, Third Future Charters, which Miles um, founded to, quote, turn around public schools in Texas, Louisiana, and Colorado. And one of the things I read on the website of the Third Future Schools is that these schools don't have any vacancies because when a teacher is absent or leaves, teacher apprentices and learning coaches step in. Is that happening at your school that teacher apprentices are, are stepping in? And, and what does that mean? Do you know? So uh, I don't understand that part, but I just, I do know that whenever, um, Whenever there's a substitute or whenever the teacher is not in, it's the best day for the kids because um, they're not having to learn the new curriculum or they're not having to work on the new scripted curriculum. So um, when there's a teacher assistant or a teacher's aide, uh, I think they're calling them teacher's apprentice. It's an easy. Let me add on to that just a little bit. Jessica's talking specifically at her school, so I'm going to throw in a backstory and then explain how what you're reading about Third Futures is an absolute made-up lie. Uh, one of the challenges with Miles is he is he lies with abandon. He makes Trump look like an honest man. So, um, if you can imagine that, so what he brought from Third Futures is this a uh, lockstep system. So, essentially, what the kids are experiencing is. Uh, 
a scripted curriculum that combines Eureka and Amplify and Carnegie, which for people who are listening is basically curriculum in a box scripted with errors in it, a paste inappropriately for students um, and not aligned with um, the things that we all know that are ped pedagogically appropriate. In addition, on top of that, he layered his strange third futures philosophy that includes things like one teacher, two classrooms, where there'd be a teacher teaching in a classroom and next door if the teacher was they didn't have a teacher that day, then those students would zoom in to the teacher who's teaching in another classroom. So if we learned anything from COVID, it's that hybrid instruction is super problematic, but he's bringing that back to the table. So with him, with the uh, teacher apprentices, um, there's several things that are problematic there. One, there are vacancies at these schools um, in Houston. He said there were no vacancies on the first day of school, but we know for a fact there are vacancies all the, over the place. He said that uh, the superintendent just lies with abandon. Everyone knows that in a school district with 200,000 kids, there aren't going to be vacancies on the, there are going to be vacancies on the first day of school. Now, what he did is he got rid of certification requirements for teachers, but in Houston ISD, the eighth largest school district in the fourth largest city, he also got rid of the requirement for teachers to be, um, have college degrees. So that basically if you're breathing, you can get a job in HISD this year. So he is truly creating a, a giant charter district with none of the safeguards for children, teachers, and parents that nobody wants, no matter where you are on the educational landscape where your philosophy is, you don't want an entire school district dismantled the way he's doing it. So that's what an education apprentice is. So Jessica, you were especially concerned about how this scripted curriculum would affect your daughter, is that right? Right, because my child has um, dyslexia and ADD and you know she suffers from short-term memory loss and long-term memory loss. So. Um, having to, you know, uh, having the interruptions because there was also a lot of interruptions where the, she said, she calls it, she used to call it this, when the principal comes in to teach the teacher while the teacher's teaching, it interrupts and it, and it causes me to lose track of what we were doing. And when the principal's talking to other adults in the room about what we're doing, it also interrupts you know, what I'm working on, and I can't remember what I was working on. So it, it interrupted her a lot. There's also timers, and she said that it would make her feel very, um, very rushed, you know, and, and, and she would get anxiety looking at the timer as the seconds are counting down and the children around her are already completing and she's still on the second question. And, you know, that type of anxiety is the new environment that she was experiencing. Um, and she was also not receiving her um, her accommodations, which was extra time on tests. And uh, if she needed to have a question read out loud to her, she wasn't receiving that um, because it wasn't allowing the extra time. There's no time. There is no time for even asking questions. Um, she did talk about a time when she was having trouble understanding canyons and valleys. And she said that the entire class could not understand it and that the teacher started getting frustrated because she couldn't deviate from the you know the verbiage on the script and the children just couldn't get it and they were running out of time and she said and they finally ran out of time she said eh, the alarm went off and that the teacher had to move on to the next subject even though the class didn't get it 
The fact that they're not adhering to her IEP or individualized education program, isn't that also against the law? Most definitely. Yes. And, and see, these are things that I also as a parent didn't know. And I think that it's very important that, um, that we as parents get informed and we, uh, understand what, what, uh, accommodate, I mean, how important accommodations are and, you know, that there are laws that, that stand behind us. So some of the other quote unquote innovations that he's imposed on these schools are cameras in the classrooms so that they're being watched at all times. You mentioned these timed intervals where everything has to be gotten done in a certain time frame, no matter whether the students are understanding it or not. And then, of course, the most controversial thing, or at least the thing that we've heard the most about, is getting rid of all the libraries, firing the librarians, and turning what were the libraries into detention centers. Well, let me add a little, and then you could add to Jessica. So I think that the tapestry is that schools have become something like prisons. So on the first the week before school, teachers were told they could not put friendly decorations up on the walls. They could not hang up student work. They must not ever dim their lights. Um, they must um, they may not have cozy reading notes. They may not uh, have student read alouds because a poor reader might read aloud and model it to somebody else. They must um, the teachers are getting observed. Uh, one teacher said he was observed 37 times in the first three weeks of school, and that's fairly consistent. So what's happening is teachers are are afraid of getting fired if they do what is right and appropriate for kids, but nonetheless, they are. Teachers are in all ways that they are able, responding forcefully back, and so are parents. Um, I'm not certain if that's where we're going in a second, but in the the libraries that are being turned into zoom centers there's two things happening so the kids learn um, in a curriculum that's too fast-paced and every single day in elementary school middle and high school in the tested subjects they have to take a 10-minute test where they don't get their um, if a student is a student with disabilities they don't get an extended time as required by law if they're a bilingual student they don't have the item read in spanish there are students in hisd my friend's kid hasn't heard Spanish once. This child is an immigrant from El Salvador, and they are they were doing bilingual instruction last year, and suddenly it's English only. Immersion works for a small percentage of students, but not for everyone. So it's hard to really describe how bad the system is. So after the little tests that kids get, um, they get put in four categories, and two stay behind and relearn the experience the material. But another friend of mine who's an, a teacher in an NES school says she's not allowed to do small group instruction for the students who stay behind to relearn the material because they didn't do well on the daily test. The students who do well on the daily test go to the library um, where the kids who are behaving poorly also go and they're given a worksheet as an advanced student over the same material that they just passed. So one, kids who learn the material quickly end up being alone for 30 minutes every other period in the library doing a boring worksheet. Absolutely wrong for all children. Setting the stage for a lifetime of, I mean, I can think that we are, we are destroying a generation of children in the eighth largest school district in the country. And as goes Houston, so will go the nation, which is why we're fighting back. 
And so then, of the, course, the part, the, and then the part I haven't said that we just want to throw in quickly is while all this is happening, he's moving teachers and principals around like widgets. So teachers are being fired for raising their hand at a faculty meeting and saying, excuse me, I'm concerned that a three-minute passing period for an eight-year-old is uh, is not enough time for a kid to go to the bathroom. Um, and teachers are being told they can't let take seven-year-olds to the bathroom as a group. They have to go one by one. Um, and they should make sure that it doesn't interfere with direct instruction. And they're firing teachers who miss more than four days. And they're um, replacing, they just replaced the principal, the assistant principal, the counselor, the librarian, and one teacher for made-up claims against the teacher. So let me get this straight. The library was in these schools was turned into a detention center where the kids who have shown disciplinary issues for whatever reason, are put in that room and have to watch their original class through Zoom on screens. Is that right? Yeah. And so you have kids of many different ages watching screens of very different classes. And who is even monitoring them to make sure that they're doing any of this or actually learning anything? A learning coach, <laughs> an uncertified learning coach who is there to assist all of these kids from different ages, different grades, different uh, subjects. Everyone's working on something different. Um, and the children who uh, at the in their original class were able to pass on to the library because they understood the material. They're sitting in that library for 35 minutes, um, you know, working alone, like Miss Ruth said. Um, but the the um, the categories is something that I wanted to hit on because I didn't understand um, really the categories until my child explained it to me. Um, and she actually spoke about it at the board meeting yesterday where how the the different categories make her feel. And so I think it was it's four categories. And there's I believe the A, which she says makes her feel like she's amazing. And then there's the S1 and S2. She feels like she's stupid. She said it's, uh, you know, S1 makes her feel a little less stupid. Um, but she said that uh, the last one, I believe, is, um, help me out here. What's the last one? L. L. It's supposed to mean learning, but she says it, it means loser. And I know this because she spoke at the board meeting uh -huh. so eloquently last night. So thank you for S bringing S1 your and S2 means struggling one and struggling two. Is that what it stands for? Or what does it stand for? Do you know? No idea. <laughs> I could, um, I, so, so they're given these labels at how frequently? Every, every day. Every day they're given a label. Yes. And is that label public, made public? For the whole class. So the whole it's, class. So, you know, you're bringing up the point that there's nothing good about this sort of constant labeling of children, particularly young children who internalize that a test grade means more than it does. And it's the reason why we shouldn't be doing precursor. Pre-K should be about learning how to, you know, learning socialization skills. But pre-Ks around the country are having kids do circle tests where when they're four and barely learning how to read, they have to answer. They know the answer or I don't know. And saying I don't know over and over again when you're young makes you think you're dumb for a lifetime. I um I get calls on a on a constant from mothers crying uh, because their child comes home crying that they feel like they're not smart enough.
because they're not getting to go to the next level or to the next room to, or they're not getting to go to the library. Um, I've also gotten calls from moms saying that their child are purposely failing so that they don't have to go to the library and sit there alone with a packet. Um, you know, uh, I, my own child comes home crying often, uh, feeling like she's not good enough and that she's failing and she's falling behind and um, tired. Kids are tired. I, I do girls on the run every day. I mean, every Monday and Wednesday. And I also do Girl Scouts on Fridays. And all of my girls come from Pew. And so I, you know, one of my jobs is to ask how their day was. And it's always negative, always, except for that one day that they, um, it, I think it was like a month and a half into the school year where they said that they had taught them Spanish for the first time. They had said some, they had had one lesson in Spanish, but most of the time, oh, and they also uh, emphasize that they love it when they have a, um, a substitute because they don't have to do the uh, rigorous curriculum, but they're tired. They feel like they have jobs. This is horrific. <laughs> now, now, Miles has claimed that 56 schools or campuses has have voluntarily opted into this program. Is that true? And if so, why would any school voluntarily opt in? Okay, not true, of course. Um, so in a late June, Basically, he bribed people. So um, he said, if you don't opt into the program, we won't pay for the curriculum. Margins are really close when you're in elementary school because of uh, student numbers. So if the school district wasn't going to pay for the curriculum, math and science and English and history curriculum for the for the school, then they wouldn't be able to afford it on their own. And I think some stuff was sunsetting. So that's some of the reasons why people voluntarily join the program. Um, he also said to principals, if you don't join now, your school's standardized test score rating isn't going to be, doesn't look very good. So next year, what we'll do is if you're not in this program, we will reconstitute all your teachers. In other words, we'll fire all your teachers if you don't join now. If you join now, we'll protect your teachers and won't fire them later, which of course was a lie. So he used any method he could to be able to ensure that on the east side of town, where the blacker and browner uh, neighborhoods, um, every single one that he wanted to use his ex to do his experiment on became an NES school. Plus, some principals unfortunately are sycophant and forget that the reason that they became educators is to create better lives for the students that they support. Right. So he he's just he's making he's making everything up for the most part. And for principals who don't buy into the model, he just replaces them on a whim. One principal was replaced recently because uh, students had their phones out at lunch in a high school. High school kids are going to be touching their phones at some point in time. So, um, and, and schools that opted into the model, it's, uh, um, who were in affluent neighborhoods, he did not let them join the model officially. But once the school year started, pretty much every school in HISD has seen the negative effects of this model in some way in their school. According to the state education law, a shared decision-making committee composed of parents, community representatives, teachers, and others is required to be involved in decision-making when it comes to planning, budgeting, curriculum, staffing, etc. And apparently these committees um, confirmed that they were never met to discuss these changes and never agreed to them. Is that still the case and if this violates state law is there any way to challenge it 
So uh, what you're saying is true, and um, a, a grievance lawsuit was filed against because the state law wasn't followed. In fact, the SDMCs need simply to be consulted. They are not the final arbiter of decision-making. That's the principle. So had the principals had a meeting where all the SDMC was invited, which is a committee of parents, students, teachers, parents, teachers, and community members, then they would have um, been complying with the letter of the law, probably not the intent of the law. But they didn't do that, um, and 50, all of the school, all of the so-called volunteer schools filed against uh, through the Houston Federation of Teacher filed, um, but it, it amounted to nothing. Which brings up, there's a lot of people pushing back legally. We are trying to, we are working on the court of public opinion, nurturing the media, educating the media so they can educate the public, which is why we go to board meetings and speak, which is why we hold protests where we had almost um, 600 people march um against the takeover a week and a half ago where people were read for ed where eventually people are going to be doing more and more and more there's protests in front of schools 200 kids had a walkout a week ago when they fired when the superintendent fired the entire administrative team and the teacher for no reason then made up a false claim um, and we're also pursuing legal action and hope that anybody listening can get more involved you truly shouldn't shouldn't the Department of Ed investigate something as horrific as you're describing and without a bunch of parents saying, excuse me, sir, can you please pay attention to us? I'm a little disappointed that the Secretary of Education in August, perhaps because of his undying love for standardized testing, uh, chose not to visit Houston in his national tour. It's a, it's hard when our allies forget us. This is Laini Hameson on Talk Out of Schools. I've been talking to two Houston parent activists, Ruth Kravitz and Jessica Campos, of the group Community Voices for Public Education about their fight to reclaim their public schools from the dictatorial control of the superintendent, Mike Miles, who was installed by the Texas State Education Agency. So you've talked about a lot, a little about this already, but um, tell me more about the way you've been organizing resistance to this. I see you have an online petition, which I will share on the WBAI website and the resources section of the podcast. But I noted you're also trying a more personal and I think innovative approach with house meetings, block walks, et cetera. Could you describe those strategies that you're using? Yeah, um, actually, so uh, they're more personal um, because you're doing like a face-to-face, -face, you know, um, well, word of mouth. I don't know how to explain that part, but but like we're going out into the community, we're telling people what's happening, you know, and we're giving information and we have general meetings where we provide more information. And then we have block walks where we go out into our neighborhoods and we tell uh, the community what's really going on. Uh, and we get signatures for our petition and uh, we've got our, our phone tree you know, um, we get connected with other parents. We hear their stories. We hear the horror stories. It's like every time we, we get, you know, we get on the phone and we talk to someone, someone saying, uh, you know, the, the new juice, you know, the new, um, tea that's going on in their, in their school. It's always something going on and it's so chaotic. Everything that's, that's happened has been, it's happened so quickly. It's every day there's something new. So um, it's kind of hard to keep up, but we're out there uh, informing parents and, and uniting and uh, 
teaching parents that they have a voice, getting people activated, you know, to to move in their communities and and you know spread the word because you know we we need to spread the word uh, um, as parents. I feel like if the teachers are worried, us we as parents should be very, very worried. And I know that us parents uh, can tend to get really busy. I know I do. I'm I'm always on the go, but I have made it my business to learn about what's going on um, and, and and try to understand it better so that I can fight for my kid and for my community because um, this we need to fight this together. We all need to be involved. Uh, we need to care about each other about each other's children in order for us to win this because um, it might not be affecting your kid right now, but it's affecting a lot of children and it'll eventually affect everyone. So, um, yeah, I love what we're, we're doing at, with CVPE. They provided uh, us with all the uh, tools and um, the contact information, the media information. Uh, and, and I just want everyone to know that um, CVPE has helped me be this person that I am right now, um, advocating for my community and my child. I don't know what else to say, but. <laughs> no, that's great. Has, has the teachers union be, been helpful as well? Yes. Yes. Uh, how can I, how can I describe this? The day that we had the protest and, and, uh, a couple of weeks ago and seeing all of the teachers out there made me realize how many teachers are very concerned for our children. Um, so I think it's very important that teachers and parents know that we're, we need to be in this together for this to work. You know, we need to be talking to each other because if, if, uh, you know, uh, if these teachers are concerned, as I said, we should be concerned because these are our children and we need to help be that voice for our children, you know, because they're too small to fight for themselves and they don't really understand what's going on. But we as adults, we should know what's going on and we should be fighting for our kids. And we're collaborating uh, with the teachers union in many different ways. So when we speak at board meetings, some teachers are speaking out forcefully, even though uh, there's a risk of being fired. And some teachers aren't ready to do that yet. So they share their speeches with Community Voices for Public Ed, which is a group of parents, teachers and students. So we're we sort of overlap with the union because the teachers in our group are also union members. And parents or other teachers who can, parents will speak the speeches and the stories of the teachers so that the public can hear what's happening in the classrooms. Um, so that helps. And then the, the, you know, I mean, it, it's the same model of organizing. You hold a house meeting and 10 of your friends find out what's going on. You, we work the drop off and pick up lines by talking to parents as they pick up their kids because as Jessica's saying, we are all so busy and sometimes we don't know what's happening right under our noses. And schools are one of the two places where parents just don't go. Because uh, we, we, you know, we trust that, uh, the state's doing the right thing for our kids. You know, we, we trust that they're in a safe place. You know, uh, the school is, is we trust in the school system and it's just not working for us right now. You know, and unfortunately, um, because of this takeover and other privatization efforts, there's been this step in the exact wrong direction. Just like it's so obvious that class size matters and people, um, like Miles's buddy, uh, try to make it seem like class size doesn't matter. Of course it matters. And of course, having a welcoming environment for teachers and students matters. If, um, it's so simple to realize that teachers need to be fairly paid, 
respected, with their input valued. If we create conditions in which teachers thrive, we automatically create the conditions in which children thrive. It's the easy things that for some reason people who want to dismantle our public schools are trying to convince the public we don't want anymore. So under state law, I read that it will be at least five years before Houston gets back its elected school board, and it could be even longer. What is your goal here? And have there been any attempts to propose amendments to the legislation which allowed this to happen in the first place? Uh, Yes. So our goal is to get rid of Mike Miles. Uh, I I said by Christmas, but we'll take spring because he's a he's such a horrible um, he's doing such horrible things to children and teachers that um, saying that it'll take a generation to undo this isn't hyperbole, isn't hubris. It's unfortunate truth that will require engaging more people, getting the high net worth folks to be involved. At the same time, we're also in a very difficult state, trying to push with amendments uh, to the law. This is the third legislative session. Uh, The governor is throwing any candy that he possibly can to try to get uh, vouchers to pass, and they won't. The session ends on Tuesday. He's probably going to propose a fourth one. There are some state legislators who propose ways to uh, repeal the legislation, change the legislation, Uh, limit takeovers to two years is something that's um, been proposed by a state legislator, getting rid of the A through F accountability rating. Uh, we're one of Texas is one of only eight state left states left that uses the A through F accountability rating to rate schools, and most schools are abandoning it because it doesn't help student learning. So if you get rid of the A through F rating system and then retroactively repeal those changes that happened since COVID, that's a possibility. There's there's different laws, different legislation that we're getting collaboration from the, some state reps. And we do have, um, and rural Republicans are collaborating with Dems on vouchers and also understand that um, takeover and vouchers are two pieces of a coordinated attempt to try to dismantle our public schools. I mean, our challenge is just to figure out a way to make sure that the people will speak out People will fight this in ways that they fight other things because public ed is such a complicated, wonky issue that sometimes people will hold a carrot up and say, here, this pretty thing will make everything better. And the fairy dust is never true. And I think in this particular case, the measures he's imposed are so horrifying, even to the average person in terms of getting rid of libraries and making them into detention centers. I mean, the symbolism of that is so horrific that. You know, I think you you have attracted he has attracted a lot of negative attention, which hopefully will help you uh, get rid of him more quickly. I want to thank my guests this week, Ruth Kravitz and Jessica Campos of Community Voices for Public Education for being on Talk Out of School this week and for all your hard work in fighting against the state takeover and the harsh measures being imposed on your Houston public school students. And I hope you will stay in touch with us. Uh, as I said, I'll put the link to your petition and your website in the resources section of the radio station and uh, the podcast. And please keep us in, up to date as to how we can help you in your struggle uh, to return to some normalcy in your public schools and 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 really get rid of this, this harsh set of changes that they've imposed on your schools. Yes, thank you. Thank you for thank you for getting us on the show. 
This is Lainey Hameson, host of Talk Out of School on WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio. Our show, Talk Out of School, is also available as a podcast if you missed the live version or want to recommend it to a friend. Also, please consider becoming a member of WBAI or a special supporter of this show, Talk Out of School, by calling 212-209-2950. There's no other show on the air that deeply delves into the issues affecting our public schools, either in New York City or nationally like this one. You can also contribute online at WBAI.org. We really need the support of listeners to keep going as one of the only non-commercial, purely membership-supported radio stations in New York City that doesn't run any ads. We will be back soon with another episode of Talk Out of School. Until then, be careful and be safe, and thanks so much for listening. Up in the morning and out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule. 